What's up, Zach Oates here, author, entrepreneur, and customer relationship guru. Welcome to Give an Ovation, growth strategies for restaurants and retailers, where we find industry leaders to share their secrets to grow your business. This podcast is sponsored by Ovation, the actionable guest feedback tool that works on or off premise and is easy, real time, and actually drives revenue. Learn more at OvationUp.com. Welcome to another edition of Give an Ovation. I have got a guest coming in with a jetpack of experience. She has worked with Kraft, Frito-Lay, Saatchi and Saatchi Advertising, Darden Restaurant Group, and now the CEO and managing partner at Response Marketing. She has worked with brands like Logitech, Amazon, Black & Decker, hundreds, thousands, maybe billions of more. Uh, Welcome to the show, Carolyn Walker. Hi, Zach. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. My pleasure. So first of all, let's dive into response marketing. Tell me a little bit about what it is, why it started, uh, and uh, anyway, the, the journey, because from your from your LinkedIn bio, it looks like it has been a journey. It's been a wild ride, to say the least. So maybe we need to unpack it by going all the way back to the beginning. So um I went to Northeastern University uh, for college, and that's a um, cooperative education school. So you go to school full-time, then work full-time, school full-time. And so I, through their program, which is amazing, I got two years of full-time work experience and my degree. And my work experience with, was with amazing brands. I worked for Sammy Burke, which is a research company. I went to work for Kraft General Foods on the bird's eye business. I went to um, Frito-Lay working on, they had just acquired Smart Food. I worked on Smart Food and do a, did guerrilla marketing and trade marketing for them. Oh, and then my cool. last job was with Saatchi and Saatchi. And funny story about that is the chairman of Saatchi and Saatchi at the time was Ed Wax. And he was a graduate of Northeastern University and broke brought the co-op education um, program back to to, uh, Saatchi and Saatchi. So I was the first co-op student at Saatchi in like 15 years. It was crazy. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, worked on the the Helene Curtis um, account working on uh, a finesse hair care, which was amazing. So had this great background, you know, my my education and had worked on great brands through that. And then after I graduated, I went back to work for Saatchi um, and worked on huge brands like Mylanta. I know more about gastrointestinal problems than I really care to admit. <laughs> um, and uh, and also worked on uh, adult Tylenol for a time. And, uh, and during that time, I was kind of like, huh, you know, what do I really want to do here? I felt like I was so focused just on advertising. I wanted to see more of the marketing picture, was thinking about getting my MBA and um, applied to this job that was posted in AdAge. I'm not kidding you. It was like a one by one square tile in the back of AdAge. And um, it was for a marketing specialist with Darden Restaurant working on on, um, the Red Lobster brand. And at the time, actually, it was General Mills Restaurants, if you remember. It was a long time ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they hired me as a marketing coordinator and um, was doing a lot with kind of budgets and billings. And they were giving me special projects here and there. I loved it, by the way. I love the restaurant industry. I love learning a lot more about the restaurant industry and um, and kind of made my way up there. I worked in um, national promotions for quite a long time, like six, seven years, both in the U.S. and, and Canada. 
And um, really, I feel like I was kind of classically trained in brand management and promotional marketing um, from them. And, you know, General Mills restaurants or Darden restaurants, you know, was really, at least when I was there, it was very marketing driven. You know, we were on air 50 weeks a year. It was crazy. Um, and Wait, what so, were the two weeks you weren't on air? I know it was like <laughs> the holiday. That was it, <laughs> and we were. Oh, really? There. You didn't do yeah. no, no. Well, you know, it's because it was so competitive. Like right during the Christmas oh. time, and people are staying home right during the holidays. So, wait. By the way, with Dar- I, I got a like quick, quick little aside right here. Yeah. Were you at all involved in getting their uh, cheddar biscuit mix into retail? <laughs> No, I was no. not involved okay. with that. Because but, who, I, I but, am you know, so smart move because people love love their cheddar bay biscuits. And actually, I've been thinking a lot lately about their cheddar bay biscuits right? and wondering why what more wasn't done with them. And I wish I had I could go back in time and put my you know marketing manager hat on and have come up with more um uh you know promotional items that use the cheddar bay biscuits or that at least that I, recipe. But, but I gotta tell you though, I I now get a lot of my red lobster kick from just buying the biscuits. Of course. And I like the way my wife makes them more than I like the way that, that at the red store? lobster makes yeah. them. Yeah, because she That's doubles great. the cheese in it, slightly undercooks it. Yeah, delish. It's, it's magical. <laughs> and a little more butter on top, right? Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, needless to say, okay, let's let's get back on track. But although yeah. I did I did think that like, you know, uh James Walker, friend of the show, he was with Nathan's famous and you know, they've got such a strong retail presence as well as the restaurants. And I think that, you know, it, it plays well. Uh, Absolutely. It's another avenue of sales, right? I mean, every time I open up my pantry, I see red lobster logo right there. Yep. Absolutely. Know? And part of great branding and strong brands is having mental availability. And part of that mental availability is the physical avail- availability, right? Yeah. Which you've got by opening your cabinet door. So yeah, I could, could not agree with you more there. Um, Anyway, so I I was there for like seven years, loved it, did all kinds of amazing work with them. Um, one of the the best promotions I worked on was their um, bottomless crab bucket. Uh, it was it was insane. Oh, the crab yeah. was coming out of the water at two dollars a pound, and we did this awesome promotion that had people wrapped around the buildings. Oh my um, gosh! For it was really awesome, and then. Um, I decided it was like the late nineties. I decided that I wanted to go from a big corporation to more of a startup situation. And I went to Sandela's and Sandela's was a small concept at the time, probably four or five company owned units. And, um, and I'll tell you, I never got my MBA, but I feel like I got my MBA through that experience with Sandellas. <laughs> um, it was it was a wild ride. Um, we went from uh, company owned. We started franchising. We had issues finding you know great operators in great locations, and then 9/11 happened, and we really kind of retrenched and took a hard look at the brand. And decided that, you know, through some conversations with other brands that maybe we need to kind of scale our concept down and start partnering with others, right? So at the time, this idea of co-branded spaces was big. And we weren't looking to go into spaces together, but we were saying, hey, you know, you might be a 
a complimentary um, a brand like a smoothie shop or an ice cream shop or a coffee place that could use Sandela's, which was sandwiches and pizzas and quesadillas and paninis and things like that, a complimentary day part, you know, offering brand next to you to help you with your um, ability to, to have more sales out of your location. And so we, we did that and um, we're starting to get some success and, you know, from a marketing perspective, we, uh, you know, it was way back, you know, it was email was just kind of starting and, um, you know, we did a lot of direct mail and one of our marketing pieces ended up with Lackman Culinary Services, which is a contract feeder out in Long Island. And they said, hey, your concept fits in 50 square feet. We have this space in Adelphi University where it's all where the kids come at the, you know, student center and they come to eat. Um, could you fit in 50 square feet and, and, you know, take this space where we're doing zero dollars out of and do something with it. And we said, absolutely. So we go and install our unit at Adelphi and 50 square feet, 50 square feet. We managed we shrunk the whole thing down. And we you're needed- doing you're doing paninis and yes, sandwiches yes. and quesadillas we, and pizzas yep. and no ventilation because we did everything on this little conveyor toaster oven thing um it worked beautifully it was it was really genius actually wow. and you know the colleges at the time were looking for branded concepts and it was it's tough to come up with a concept on your own right and so we licensed it to them and it was really really affordable and so we put our our unit in there and lo and behold that little 50 square foot area did as much on Adelphi University as our like 1,200 square foot units were doing on the corner of Main Main. And no we were like, holy way. moly, there's something to this. And um, I quickly kind of bought the, you know, became part of uh, NACUFS, which is the National Association of University College and University Food Service, and got their list and got, you know, started mailing out to them. And we thought, you know, we need to prove this out. And uh, the next call we got was from Louisiana State University, which their food service was run by Chartwells, which is a division of Compass Group, which is one of the largest contract feeders in the world. And um, they called us up and said, hey, you know, we've got this this um, Taco Bell. Ex- we have two Taco Bell Expresses. We don't want to. We, we, we don't need to. We have this one, <laughs> this one spot that's like it was much bigger than the one at Adelphi. It was probably about 55 square feet. <laughs> yeah, 55. <laughs> It might have been like 150 or something like that. And, okay, so um, a conference room. You, you went from a closet to a conference yes, room. Yes, okay, exactly. Very cool. Exactly. <laughs> That's really funny. Um, and so he's installed in, in LSU. And because it's such a you know much bigger university, much bigger, bigger student center, we did like five times the volume at LSU as we did at Adelphi and knew that we were onto something. And so anyway, long story short, we ended up growing the concept from that, you know, Back when I started, it was like five company-owned units to we had about over 100 licensed units across the country, mainly oh in non-traditional gosh. locations like like um, colleges. So and it was really cool. Like people's trunks. Like that's, <laughs> that, is, that is such an interesting opportunity and just, just an interesting concept that you could have shut down. You could have closed your yes, doors. You could have exactly. said, hey, we're not, this isn't working. But you know, when you look at it, it's not that what you're doing is wrong. It's that maybe you just haven't found the right offer to the right people yet. That's exactly right. You know? And, and I think it's such a fascinating concept. Like just yeah. what a great case study there. Yeah. Unbe- it was an unbelievable pivot. And it's funny that you say that, like it's so... 
it's, it, you know, maybe you looking back on it or you, you looking at it now from your outside perspective, it's like, wow, that's amazing. But I really felt like at the time we didn't have a choice. It was like survive, you know, we needed to survive (laughs) and, you know, what are you going to do to survive? And so it was a hard pivot. And if you think back to one of our challenges, which was finding great operators, when we partnered with, with contract feeders, these guys operate food service all day long, you know, 24 seven. So we had amazing operations. We had a great product. We knew we had a great product. You married that with great operations and, and these locations that are, have captive audiences, how can you not succeed, you know? So it really was a home run and incredibly successful. And by the way, when the students got exposed to the brand and saw the brand, they then became interested in, okay, well, why don't we take this off campus, you know? And so after I left, they started developing units outside again, you know, outside of the campus environment or those non-traditional locations. So I you know, love that story. And, and I think that that's just such a, the the concept of resilience, right? I think about what Ovation went through during COVID. And we used to be servicing a lot of industries. We used to be doing a lot of things. I mean, at one point, we were working with summer sales companies and we were working with, you know, um, spas and we were working with anyone who would pay us, anyone that had a front door, Sure. And so we had so many different types of people that we were working with. And we even at one point even had our own loyalty system, right? We were doing so much in the market. And with COVID to to what exactly what you were talking about, I was like, we didn't have a choice. We had to really focus in and, and we had to do one thing, solve one problem for one type of customer. And yeah looking at the market and looking at the the things that people were doing and looking at our passions, it was like feedback for restaurants. And here we are, we've 10 X in the last couple of years after making that pivot, but that's what it took. Right. And out of that necessity came the innovation. Absolutely. A lot of times innovation doesn't mean more. It means it sometimes it means less. It means cutting Mm -hmm. out the things that aren't, the core focus of what you're doing, or it's about taking the things you have to the right market. So anyway, I just think just a great yeah. case study in resilience and uh, pressing forward. That's really cool, Carolyn. Thank you. So from there, um, I, I, I left Sandela's and um, wasn't quite sure what I was going to do next. And I went to response, believe it or not, as a freelancer. So I call myself the accidental entrepreneur because I did not intend to own an agency. (laughs) But here I am many years later and own the agency. So I went there. I started as a freelancer, got hired full time, became a partner within a year, became managing partner within three years. And then I bought the original guys out in 2009. Um, And So, so so you literally went from a freelancer to CEO. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I did. As one does, Carolyn. <laughs> <laughs> so my question, my question for you in, in no short, uh, in no short order is like, when's the memoir coming out? Because <laughs> That's so funny because I just had a call with, um, actually, I just canceled the call, but I'm rescheduling a call with a ghostwriter because I've been thinking about it for a long time. Oh. For real. Well, legitimately. Okay, what's, what's the, what's the working title? Do you have a couple ideas? So. I had I had one idea, um, and I don't know if it's that great, but my grandfather was also an ad guy. He had his own agency and um, in New York, and his nickname for us as his grandkids, we called him Noonie, uh-huh. and he 
loved these Stelladoro cookies, you know, the breakfast cookies. He loved those. Uh-huh. And my grandmother used to call them Noonie cookies. And I thought, oh my gosh, well, Newton cookies in the digital world means the path of where you've been. Yeah. And so I had this idea of calling this book that I write Noonie cookies. So I don't oh, know. Okay. I kind like, of like that. the trail of where you've been, you know? Yeah, no, I like that. I mean, that's, that's like going real meta there. I know. I, <laughs> I don't I know. It's probably a terrible idea. <laughs> well, no, no. I just, I just know the process of coming up with the the title. I mean, I have a book. It's called "Dating Never Works Until It Does," <laughs> and it was one of those things where, like, I mean, that was probably the you know hundredth name that I had come up with right. uh, for the book. Right. And anyway, but I just think it's it's like so tough to do that because, especially if it's more of like a memoir based, it's like, oh, there's so much you know, what, what's like the final message. And so anyway, I was like, you know, for me, I want people to pick up the book and to be like, like, have you read that book? Uh, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your yeah, life. There's yeah. like a book. That's like the book title. And there's a funny SNL sketch where, where someone was like, Hey, did you read this book? And she's like, no, I just kind of read the title and I decided to eat pizza for a living. And, um, <laughs> Anyway, I was like, that's what I want people to do. I want people to like look at the book and be like, okay, I get it. And then put it yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I love that idea. So I I mean, we are we are getting crunched on time here, but this is such a great conversation. You know, I'm in advance, Carolyn. I'm gonna have to invite you to come back because we're we're gonna have to, there's so much more I want to talk to you about. But one thing I want to get to, and if we don't get to anything else, I want to spend mm-hmm. the rest of the time talking about this. Who are the forgotten ones in, yeah, in restaurant brand a, building and marketing? A great question. And so we talk about the forgotten ones actually in relation to the staff. And so, you know, when when I think restauranters think about their brand, they think about, well, you know, what's the logo? What's the tagline? And, you know, what does my website look like? And all of this stuff. And they forget about the, the people who should be the real stewards of the brand, the people who are making the food and prepping mm-hmm. the food and are on the front lines with the guests, right? They need to know the why. Why does yeah. this company, what is this brand exist? What are we trying to do? What's our mission and vision? You know, how, how do we make unforgettable experiences for our guests? And if you're not doing that, then you're just you, you know, you're, you're really missing out, right? You're missing out on an opportunity to build, you know, a, a relationship with your guests and trust with your guests and, yes. and give those, those people, those stewards of the brand, the autonomy and the power, right? Empower them with your brand message so that they can do the right things when it comes to being hospitable to your guests. Because um, at the end of the day, the best marketing that you have are your people. Yeah. And and what do you want to teach your people to do? You want to teach your people to help your guests feel important. Exactly. I often talk about the ladder of loyalty. We're on the bottom rung is convenience. On the middle rung is consistency, and on the top rung is connection. And that that is where you get not just, you know, con- convenience will get them in one time. Consistency will get them in a few times. Connection will keep them for a lifetime. A hundred percent. And and in order to have your employees connect with your guests, guess what, folks? You've got to connect with your employees, right? Definitely. There's so many 
people who overlook that. And, you know, it's funny because um, I was listening to full comp and um, Josh was talking about like one of the one things that he would have done differently. And he said, you know, using those, those pre-shift rallies, or we call them Emerald Lobster Alley rallies differently in like getting them to be jazzed about the brand and how do we, you know, execute on hospitality, you know, how do we make these moments of delight for our our guests? He said he would have used them totally differently. You know, it's not like, oh, you know, sell more of the dessert or, you know, here's the special. It's, it's not about that. It's about what's the brand, you know, what, why are we doing this? And, and really, you know, like I said, empowering that, that group to be stewards of the brand. And a great book to read if you, if you haven't read it is four hour work week. Mm-hmm. And, and not that I necessarily think that that's uh, that possible if you have a couple of restaurants, but, you know, but maybe it is right. I talked to consultants. That's their whole job is to help restaurant owners step away from their restaurant. Cause I yeah. can't tell you how many restaurant owners I've talked to who haven't taken a vacation in five years. Right. Right. But at the end of the day, one of the things he talks about is this, this word that you keep mentioning is empower. Mm-hmm. And when you empower your staff to create a great guest experience, the, the ironic thing is that they feel fulfilled by filling others. And so exactly. when they're when they're helping others to you know get the right food, have a good experience, they are happier. Mm-hmm. And so when you empower them, you're actually making life. You're actually creating a better guest experience because they're then happier and more willing to do it. And mm-hmm. I think that is that is the uh, I, I love that idea of the forgotten ones in restaurant marketing. Like such a such a good insight. And just for our listeners to know, that was. That was something that Carolyn, uh, before our call, emailed to me to ask about. So I'm not just like very insightful <laughs> asking about this. this. This was a prompt to make me look good, uh, but <laughs> I got to give the credit to Carolyn because it's a great, it's a great concept. It's a great question. It's a great framework. Um, I think wrapping up because, and again, I, w- I want to get you back on so we can talk okay. more about the guest experience and tactics and everything. But any any shout outs you want to give anyone that you feel deserves an ovation in the restaurant industry? Yeah, I, I have a few, but and I'll go through them quickly. Um, one is Planta. I don't know if you're familiar with them. They're out of Canada. They started in Toronto. Um, and I have not been to one yet. I'm dying to go to one, but they're more fine dining vegan. And I just think that they're doing an exceptional job at making vegan more accessible. Um, yeah. And and really like, oh, yeah, it's 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 more like um, it's a really incredible fine dining experience. And it just happens to be vegan, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, so, anywhere that has a four point five stars with one thousand eight hundred and forty reviews, uh, it's probably pretty good. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm putting them on my list. So they're on my list. They do a great job on their site too, by the way. Um, the second is First Watch. And I just think they're doing a killer job owning that yeah. daytime cafe space. And they're building an incredibly strong brand, one with purpose and distinction and relevance. And and it's just, you know, they're, they're, they're doing the hard work and building the brand kind of day in and day out and being true to who they are and what their core is. And by the way, I also think that they're doing an incredible job winning the war on talent as well. Mm. And so they're talking about, you know, they say no nights ever and you join for the hours and you stay for the people. And it's like, to me, I feel like some people who are maybe burnt on the restaurant industry, you know, and working late nights and weekends and all of that stuff, you know, think about this as a, wow, this is a different, 
a different concept that allows me to have maybe more of a normal, normal, you know, yeah. a schedule. So I thought that was really smart. Um, and then uh, I'll, I'll lastly mention Chipotle. I, you know, it may be a little bit of a cop out, but I just think that they <laughs> do an, a, an amazing job at about having a balance between brand marketing and performance marketing. Yeah. And so they just do that brilliantly. And if they have not, if they had not been true to their brand and kept their brand marketing going, like they would have never survived the crisis in 2015, 2016 that they did with the E. coli breakout. Yeah. And so I just really admire the work that they've done. And, you know, they haven't gone into the war on price at all. You know, it's re it really is about, you know, who they are as a brand. And then to get the frequency up, they introduce new products, right? And they're not talking about product at a price. It's not the $4.99 burrito, you know? Yeah, right. It's this new cool thing that you should come in for. So Absolutely. anyways, I really um, admire them quite a bit. So Carolyn, how do people find and follow you and Response Marketing? So the best way is to, to go to our website, which is response.agency. You'll find all of our, you know, social handles there. Um, Really, it's the best way. And also, it, I'm always open to talking to anyone. So if you want to email me, it's carolyn at response.agency. Well, for inspiring us all to get to the moon with your fully fueled jetpack and amazing life journey and for giving us a sample of your Nooney cookies, today's ovation goes <laughs> to you. Thank you for joining us on Giving Ovation, Carolyn. Thanks, Zach. Glad you're with us today. And thank you. Thank you to the risk takers, the troublemakers, the crazies who are keeping this world clothed and fed. You're the ones who deserve an ovation. Again, this podcast was sponsored by Ovation. To see how we can help you grow your business, go to OvationUp.com. Don't forget to subscribe. And as always, remember to give someone in your life an ovation today.